Welcome to meet the creator and executive producer Vince Gilligan at the Apple Store Kurfürstendamm. Please welcome our guest moder moderator, Milena Fessmann. <clears throat> Thank you very much for coming. Um, I heard we are sold out within 10 seconds, something like that, so that's very good. And you all know what we are talking about today, but to give you a short, short introduction, just um, let us see a little glimpse of the show. You want to cook crystal meth? That's right. This is art, Mr. White. Actually, it's just basic chemistry. How did a public school teacher become public enemy number one? I am the one who knocks. Witness Walter White's transformation, Breaking Bad. I'm very honored to welcome Vince Gilligan on stage. He's the man. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm very glad you made it here. You spent, is it the first time in Berlin? This is my uh, uh, first time in, in Germany ever and uh, first time in Berlin. So, uh, uh, guten Abend, uh, <laughs> und uh, danke schön. Oh, you learn. That's all I know. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. It's, so, a, it's a wonderful city. I'm having a real good time here. So you did a touristic program? I did. Uh, a couple of days ago, uh, got driven around and saw a great many sights, and really just an amazing city. Uh, I'm definitely coming back in the future to okay, visit. Okay, and I hope you will come here again. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We take you for granted. <laughs> So uh, we are in episode two of the final season, six episodes more to go. Yes. This is, of course, not a spoiler program today, right. but will you give us, <laughs> to sort of come through the next weeks, will you give us some sort of a little hint? Well, I, you know, really, I, th this, uh, this final season more than any, uh, I, I really uh, find that people... A lot of people ask me, uh, what's going to happen? And then I start to open my mouth to, to make a joke. Uh, and they say, no, no, don't tell me, don't tell me. So uh, what can I say that wouldn't make anyone unhappy, me included? Um, it's, well, I mean, if you've seen the first two episodes, I think you're going to see that you're going to have the third one available to watch tonight. And uh, I believe uh, that's the way it works here. And it's just, you can see from these first two that uh, things are moving faster than they normally do on Breaking Bad. You can you can expect a, a, a real roller coaster ride from now until the end of the uh, the end of the series. So I would say uh, have a have a seat belt attached to your sofa, and uh, and and put it very tight because it's going to be a wild ride. Okay, no more spoilers. No, that's so the best I can Marie do. So is Marie still wearing purple in the last episode? Uh, she 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 you, might. You know, well, she you know I can't. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so how is it? Because you started in 2008, yeah. it's five years now. Yeah. So 
how, how's the feeling bringing it to an end? It must be horrible. It is, and actually it's, it's, it's for, for the amount of time, it's actually closer to six years. I think we started shooting in uh, March of 2007, started shooting the pilot. And uh, it's, been, it's been quite a ride. It's been quite a, quite a, quite a long time. And, and uh, I'm very sad, personally, that it, is, that it already has, for me, come to an end. Uh, because I miss these wonderful people uh, mm -hmm. in front of the lens and behind it, whom, I, whom I've worked with for so many years now. But creatively, uh, I really do think it was time to, to bring the show to a mm -hmm. conclusion. And, and I hope you agree when you see the final, uh, when you've seen it all, when you see the final episodes. I hope you, hope you agree with that assessment. So is writing an end more difficult than writing probably sec second season or third? Because you, you need to bring everything together? Yeah, you sure do. Writing Endings are very hard. They've always been hard for me back when I would write movie scripts. Endings are very difficult because our lives, our realities, it seems to me, don't lend themselves to very neat, tidy endings. Life goes on until one day when it no longer goes on, you know, in our, in our, in our realities. But in our fictions, we, we, we hope for a satisfying conclusion to, to a story. And coming up with the proper and satisfying conclusion is, is oftentimes not that easy. And uh, my six writers and I work very hard to come up with, with the ending that you will see uh, in, not too, in not too long in the future. And I, I, I spent a lot of sleepless nights the past year worrying that it wasn't good enough. Uh, I feel good about it now. I, I hope uh, I will not be uh, uh, very uh, badly surprised when, when, when the final one does air. But I, it satisfied us, as, as my se the seven of us, mm -hmm. the seven writers, it satisfied us as the, the first fans of the show. And, and hopefully uh, most, I don't think we, it's ever possible to satisfy 100% of the viewers. I think certain folks, no matter what, will say, well, I had, a, I had this perfect, this platonic Plan. perfect ending in my mm -hmm. brain and you, you failed, you fell short of that. But, but hopefully, by and large, most folks will, will dig it. I read some of that, one of the episodes, the script of one of the episodes was actually stolen from Brian Cranston's car. Yeah. So this is a hell of a nightmare with was, in shooting the final season. It was a big nightmare. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. It was, uh, it's, I think it's one that's already aired. I think it was one of the first three, uh, I believe. Uh, it was certainly not the very last episode, but, but Brian... Thank God. <laughs> well, yeah, thank goodness, yeah. It wasn't even written at that point, to be honest. But, but, but Brian Cranston, being a producer on the show, was being a very good producer, and he was spending his Sunday in Albuquerque helping to find locations for us. And he had driven to the top of Sandia Crest, which is the, uh, the mountain on the east side of Albuquerque, New Mexico, that overlooks the entire city. And he was up there in this beautiful national, well not a national park, but like a, like a local park, and he went off to take some pictures and he came back and his window of his car had been broken and his, his iPad, uh, his wonderful Apple product had been stolen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then some guy in some strip club in Albuquerque a few, a few weeks later was caught trying to sell this script to... Strip club. Yes, the, 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 okay. uh, the, the guy who stole the script in a strip club in Albuquerque was saying, hey, how much will you give me for this? I think it's okay. got to be worth something. And the police were called, and um, 
luckily the guy he was trying to sell it to uh, was, was a so man of no conscience. internet access, so to put it on the internet. He, uh, uh, well, he apparently it never, as far as we know, it never got on the internet. I think we would, we would know by now. And, and uh -huh. as I say, at this point, it's probably moot because I think, as far as I recall, it's one of the first three. You said very early that this final season will be the end, so after five episodes or fi five seasons. Is there a normal sort of ending towards every story which is around a season five? Or why did you came so early with the idea that it will end at that time? We know that by design, Breaking Bad was a very closed-ended and finite story. And, and that is, that is a, a bit atypical for, for television. Typically. Uh, the economics of, of television uh, reward you for, for going on indefinitely, for going on forever, essentially. Mm -hmm. And you can make a lot of money by, by creating a show that goes 10, 12, 15 years. That's what most TV producers hope for. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I'm not against that. But Breaking Bad, from its very conception, was designed to be different. It was designed to be a bit experimental. Uh, It was designed to, to, be a, to, to tell a story of change, of metamorphosis. And typically, the, 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 the leading character in your TV show doesn't change at all for, for five or 10 or 15 years. And that's by design. You, you, you want to know when you tune in to see this, this to Marshall Dillon or, or, or Hawkeye Pierce or whoever you want to, or Thomas Magnum, you want to see the same guy in season eight that you saw in season mm. one. But I really wanted to try something different. So the whole point of this show was taking the good guy, the protagonist, turning him into the bad guy, the antagonist. And at a certain point, you start to ask yourself, as the, as the writer, how bad can bad be? And you say really to yourself, bad, well, we <laughs> really bad apparently is the answer, as we've seen thus far. And um, so at a certain point, you say to yourself, you know, I, I, if we're going to be true to the very design of this project and not try to milk it for all it's worth financially, we should, we should end it sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. So do you remember the beginning when you first pitched it? Yeah. Because probably for all Germans here in the room, to go to a TV representative from Germany and tell them, I plan a program about someone who's um, a teacher yeah. and is, has cancer and is trying to cook meth. Yeah. They will immediately stop the conversation, so <laughs> yeah. there will never ever a program like this in Germany, yeah. probably somewhere in the future. So, how was the reaction? The reaction was was not then not that different than it would be in Germany. It okay. was uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, I, I I pitched it first to first you have to find a studio to to buy your project, and uh, uh, so I went to Sony Television because I knew the two gentlemen who run, who run that, that company, uh, run the, uh, you know, who, who basically buy all the TV shows, a, a gentleman named Zach Van Amberg and a, a gentleman named Jamie Ehrlich. And I went to them and I said, I got an idea for you. And I was very excited. This idea had, had kind of popped into my head. Ideas don't usually pop into one's head as a writer, at least in my experience, they're, they're usually more hard fought. But I had this idea I was very excited about, and I sit down with these two guys in their office in, in Culver City in California, and I start to pitch it, and they both are like this the whole time. You know, they look deer, deer in the headlights, and as they're, you know, like kind of back in their seats, kind of thinking, what the heck, uh, I started to get the sense that, that maybe I hadn't thought this through <laughs> well enough, that this would not be a very easy sell. Uh, I was just going on sheer enthusiasm and excitement. 
But um, despite the fact they looked a little aghast, they called me within a day or two and they said, okay. we are interested. And, and thus I had a studio partner. And then the three of us together had to go and find a, a broadcaster, a network, uh, you know, on, on, whose air, on whose airways, on whose air, on, you know, where we could show the show, you know, where we could broadcast it. Sorry, I suddenly lost the ability to speak. But uh, anyway, uh, that was a little harder. We, we, we went through a lot of uh, different uh, cable operations in, in the states who, who ultimately passed until luckily AMC said yes. Mm -hmm. So how much uh, impact do the actors actually have on the process of the developing of the story? Of, of course, because they sort of talk to you, they're in the, in the program, but especially with these two main characters, yeah. I got the feeling that they sort of gave more to this. So when the first season yeah. starts, I think you wanted to, to throw Jesse out of the program, and so there must, he must have done something yeah. to still be there. No, you're right, it is true. My original idea was to kill off Jesse at the end of the first season. And that, Thank God you didn't. I know, I can tell, that's a very bad idea, right? <laughs> bad uh, very bad idea. Um, to my credit, I didn't, I didn't keep that idea very long once we cast Aaron Paul. Uh, I actually told him on the set of the first episode after the pilot, or maybe it was the second episode, but I, I said to him, hey, come here, sit down, I want to tell you something. Uh, I was going to kill your character off at the end of this season. And he said, what? And he got, his eyes got real big. And I said, no, this is a, I'm, I'm doing you, this is a good thing. I'm, I'm paying you a compliment. I'm saying I would never do that now. But actually, I scared him very badly. When <laughs> he wasn't thinking in terms of the character dying okay. ever, but I was actually trying to be complimentary. And then after that point, Brian Cranston was, was very devilish, was very, uh, was very mischievous from that point onward. Anytime Brian Cranston would, would read a subsequent script before Aaron had had a chance to read it, he'd go, he'd close it up, and he'd go over to Aaron, and he'd massage his shoulders, and he'd say, <laughs> it was great working with you, buddy. <laughs> and he, would, he was merciless, and it was so much fun for him to play those kind of pranks on, on Aaron, because Aaron is very, you know, he, it was, he, was, uh, he, he, he did that quite a few times. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good job for an actor. <laughs> so did you throw out, sort of working on that, did you sort of change your, your kind of writing uh, about Walt? Because well, he, when you see the face yeah. of Brian Cranston, um, yeah. he's not a very talkative guy. So did you throw out dialogues or stuff like that when writing his Well, interesting, Walt, Walt is not, Walt can be somewhat taciturn, but Brian Cranston is very much a, a talkative Gentlemen, and Brian Cranston, it should be noted, I, I think you all know this, what a fine actor he is, but if you, if you were fortunate to meet him and get to talk with him, you would realize even more what a wonderful actor he is, just as you, just as you would with all these actors. For an instance, another example would be uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who played Gus Fring. These two gentlemen in particular are completely different than their characters. If you met them in real life, in a sense, you wouldn't even recognize It would take you a moment to recognize them because they come across completely differently. Like Gustavo Fring, for instance, the character is very, very taciturn and very, very polite and yet businesslike and somewhat severe, very, very self-contained. Giancarlo Esposito, when you meet him, is like, hey, and he gives you a big hug and he's, he's always smiling. He has this huge, goofy smile. And uh, that shows what, what good acting can provide. And in answer to your question, uh, a great deal uh, of, of who the characters became did come from the actors. 
sometimes in overt ways, sometimes, uh, for instance, uh, in the early days, Brian Cranston said to me, how do you think Walt looks? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I mean, I'm thinking, this was his idea, he said, I'm thinking of a little mustache, uh, and I want to have it, the hair designer color it to take all the color out of it. Make it I want it to look like a dead caterpillar on my <laughs> upper lip. And, and I want to be a little gone to seed. I want to be a little fleshy. I'm thinking Walt should be 186 pounds. And I said, 186? He says, yeah. he knew, like, much like a boxer who comes in at a specific mm -hmm. fighting weight, uh, Brian said to me, I think 186 is the right weight for Walt because I want to have a little of that muffin top, you know, when I'm wearing the, uh, the uh, tidy whities I want some flesh sagging over the waistband. And, uh, and he showed up within a pound of that weight, I think. And he, so a lot, of, a lot of that is overt. A lot of those details overtly come from the actor. And sometimes they, uh, they're, they're implied by the actor. Sometimes they, they are... What's the right way to put it? They're almost subconsciously added by the writer based on what the writer understands mm -hmm. of the actor. Like, for instance, Dean Norris, who plays Hank, when I originally wrote the part, he was a very, he was written to be, there was not a lot of depth to the character, to be honest, in, in, in the first script. He was just sort of a hail fellow well met. He was essentially everything that Walt was not, but there wasn't much more to him other mm -hmm. than that. But when I got to know Dean Norris, who plays the, the part, and I realized how complex a person he is and how educated he is and how there's a great depth of feeling to him. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of that understanding that I gathered about him and that my writers gathered about him came to apply to the character. We, almost as if by osmosis, we learn things about these actors and we incorporate them into the writing and into the characters. Mm -hmm. You said at the beginning that it's basically, besides everything else, it's the, the, the protagonist becoming an, an antagonist. And so we have it for the whole, of, whole seasons, we see Walter transform to Heisenberg or water, whatever. And I think for me, because I, I saw it, of course, in the last few days again, there's this little turning point, the, or one of the turning points is, I think it's the end of season two when Jane yes. dies because on her own vomit and he yeah. doesn't do anything. Yeah. So would you agree that this is some oh. sort of an extra oh, yeah. turning to, to become more Heisenberg than ever very, before? Very much so. Um, it, was, it was tricky to know how quickly to turn our good guy into our bad guy. It, it, it's, it was one of the trickiest things about writing a show like this was, was to know how quickly it should, it should come to pass. Should Walt take little baby steps toward, toward evil, toward criminality, or should he do it in, in fits and starts? And um, that was a big moment. That was uh, one of the rare moments that the, uh, the studio and the network called me up. Uh, we would do an outline for every episode, about 12 to 14 pages long, with a great amount of detail before we would write the scripts. And they read that outline, and they saw that moment, and they said, to their credit, they, they, were, they, they, they were courageous throughout, throughout the whole six years of production. That was the one time they said, we're a little scared of this. And to their credit, they said, we're, we're not, we understand that Walt will get to this point eventually, but we, we think you may be taking him too far too mm -hmm. quickly, making him too bad too quickly. And, I, and they, they had a good point. And actually, my writers, and even I, I was, we were all worried. We were concerned. But at the end of the day, it, it felt right 
in our guts to, to, to have that scene at that moment. And, uh, and that was a big moment that people remember. And it was uh, a very hard moment to watch. I, I, was, I was lucky mm -hmm. enough to be on the set and watch from about eight feet away as, as Brian played that part. And he was so wonderful. I don't even think every nuance in his acting, in his expression, was completely caught by the motion picture mm -hmm. camera. I think I saw things, the way I remember it is I saw things that never even showed up on film. Mm -hmm. But he was marvelous in that scene. Uh, in this show, drama does not only work in the show, but also within the audience, because strangely, somehow, even in the final season, you still like Walt. So he's some sort of an existential hero some, somehow, even if he's a really huh. bad guy. Huh. It, it's, you know, it's, 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 I'm sure there are... It, I am always... I, I, I think it's marvelous. I'm surprised by how many people still root for Walt. Um, I don't think, I don't know that everybody does, but hopefully even for the fans for whom Walt has lost all sympathy, hopefully he has, what, what he has lost in, in, in sympathy, he has gained in interest. Hopefully mm -hmm. he's more interesting than ever for his, for his lack of sympathetic behavior. But some people do indeed uh, uh, still root for him. My, my mother... Uh, who I don't believe for a minute would watch this show if, if I hadn't created it. Okay. <laughs> Not, nonetheless, because uh, she's very, very much believes in law and order and, and, and is very, uh, you know, thinks you know, one should behave right and think right and do right. I don't mean that in yeah, a bad way. That's the way moms, that's the way moms are, you know. <laughs> but she, she called me up after uh, one of these previous episodes. Not the one you're going to see tonight, but the, the last one, the one prior to this. And she said, I was nervous when Skyler was talking uh, to, to Hank, I was, I was saying, I was blurting out to the TV screen, don't tell him about Walt, don't, <laughs> don't be a stoolie, you know? And uh, it's interesting, my own mom still rooting for this guy, because in a, in a sense, I, I have lost more sympathy for Walt than I think most fans okay. still possess. And, and I, I find that very interesting. And, and fans are not wrong for still rooting for Walt. Uh, not at all. It's just, it's interesting. It's been a very interesting uh, sociological education for me, you know, learn, seeing how people mm -hmm. interact with the show and react to it. Besides the great show, um, it's also the, the details, the very complex details in every episode and, of course, in the seasons, just to name one, um, the colors. Mm. So I, I just checked it on the internet. You can see people sort of giving every outfit in every episode like a color and you yeah. see sort of this scale of colors yeah. and they're trying to find something out of, out of it. Yeah. So you did put a lot of effort in the details. We, did, we, we always put as much effort as we could muster into the details. Uh, and the color is a good example of that. We did pay a lot of attention to color, but, but probably there are some wonderful theories as to what the colors mean out, at the, out there on the internet that, that would have never occurred to me necessarily. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't mean they're wrong. I mean, this sounds, I don't know how this may sound, but I, I really do believe that once we make this show, it's ours as mm -hmm. we make it, and then we put it out in the world, and then, it's, and then it's yours. I mean, and then we only are one opinion amongst many. And if someone has an opinion about the, what the colors mean, I would, never, I would never think of saying, no, you're wrong. I would say, that's very interesting. Maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe mm -hmm. on some subconscious level we were thinking that. I can tell you that consciously what we were thinking when we, when we came up with these color palettes is that we were thinking this is a show about change and about transformation. And 
changing the color palette of any particular character uh, from, from the, for instance, on a microcosmic scale, in the pilot episode, Walt starts off very beige, very boring in his color palette. And by the end of, the, by the end of that first hour, he turns green. His, his clothing, is, he's got some, some hints of green, some hints, in other words, of vitality in life. And, and so every season, we would map out uh, a change in the color palette for each character. Uh, and the colors themselves didn't necessarily mean certain things to, to me, but rather the concept of showing change through this visual metaphor mm -hmm. was, was, was helpful and was something that I enjoyed helping uh, the production designer and the costume designer and the director of photography map mm -hmm. out. And the one character who, who never changes uh, seems to be Marie, who always has this fetish toward purple. And, uh, and that was fun to, to have one character who, who remained just uh, very defiantly constant. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you this because we were in Germany. Um, it's not a coincidence that almost every character has a, some, some sort of a related German name, like Ermantraut, Schrader, Schwartz, Heisenberg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's even Major Tom in yes. the song of <laughs> yeah, Peter Schilling right. in the English version in the, in the that's right. in season four, I think. So, where does it come from? I'm not sure where that comes from. I can tell you, Ermintraut is a, is a last name of, of my girlfriend's, uh, my girlfriend's uh, good friend back in Virginia. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's her last name, so I wanted to uh, make use of that. And uh, what else? Um, Heisenberg, of course. Uh, that was a bit of a throwaway when we came up with that. Uh, in, in an early episode in season one, Walt uh, is asked by Tuco, the character Tuco, uh, what's your name? And of course he's going to give a fake name at that point. And as a throwaway, we thought Heisenberg would be an interesting uh, uh, fake name because of Werner Heisenberg, uh, who ran Hitler's atomic bomb program and, and also who was famous for his uncertainty principle. That's about all I understand of it. I'm, I'm no physicist, but I like the sound of uncertainty mm -hmm, okay. uh, from a, on a poetic level. <laughs> Uh, so we like that name, and then uh, it really took on a life of its own. It really stuck, that mm -hmm. name. So uh, that was uh, that was fun. Yeah, there there do seem to be some uh, Germanic overtones, and uh, I don't know that it, they were all completely conscious, but uh, maybe on some some okay. subconscious level we were we were thinking that way. So before you can ask him questions, one last question. Now it's over. So yeah. we, are, we are not done, but you are done. Yeah. So what, will you ever write for movies again after having the chance to sort of develop such a big thing in a show? That's a very good question. I love movies. I've always loved movies. I, I, I don't love the era we are in, unfortunately, certainly in the United States as far as movies go. Unfortunately, uh, the movie business in the United States has, has aggregated uh, what, what used to be many production companies, many studios have been swallowed up uh, and aggregated down into just a few companies now. And unfortunately, listen, it was always a business. It was always about making money. But now it's, it's that more than it's ever been. And unfortunately, there's, there's not that much new thinking as far as mm -hmm. movies go. And unfortunately, a lot of movies are superhero movies, of which I am guilty sequels. of having written one. And then a lot of sequels and a lot of movies for a very specific demographic, a very specific male demographic. And I think they should make all those kind of movies. I think that's wonderful. But I think they should also make movies for every other demographic. Mm -hmm. and, and they should make movies for grown-ups. And, and, 
And I want to see, as well as, I mean... We keep that as a quote. <laughs> make and, movies for grown-ups. Well, I mean, they should make every kind of movie. And luckily now, for, for people like myself working in television, uh, now there are more, in the United States and hopefully all over the world, there are more outlets, there are more, uh, there is, there are more places uh, to, that, that show television now, and, and therefore television needs more shows than ever. So television, or the television universe, the number of outlets for television, that universe is expanding while the motion picture universe is, is simultaneously contracting. And I would like to see, uh, uh, this is a very long-winded answer, the short answer is I'd like to make a movie, but not if it has to be, you know, some movie with a, with a, with a very high Roman numeral attached <laughs> to it. Or, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to make something that interests me uh, on a level that Breaking Bad interests me. Having said all of that, I should probably just stick with TV because it's been yes. very good to me. It's been I hope very you do. Good to me. The one thing about TV is that it's exhausting. And, and I've only worked on Breaking Bad for the past six years. I haven't had a chance to, to work on anything mm. else. And I'd, I'm so proud of Breaking Bad, but I'd like to get a few more projects going. And, and when you do a, a movie, it's a, a bit more finite. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't grind you down like, like TV does, you know, physically. But um, I'd like to do both in the future. Yeah, we hope you do. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so it's up to you now. If, do you have any questions? I would like to know what were your feelings when you wrote the last sentences of the script? Good question. I, I was very sad. I actually, I hate to admit it because I'm a manly man, but uh, I actually teared up and cried when I wrote the very last, uh, when I wrote, wrote the very last words uh, of the final episode. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico in this little condo Uh, that, that, uh, that, I, that I have there that's actually appeared on the show as a set. And I was sitting at the, at the uh, dining room table and typing away, and, and it was, I was very moved. I was not moved by the brilliance of the words I was writing. I was moved, I was moved by the fact uh, that, that it was over, that that was it. And it made me very sad to think I would never write the end again on, on, on Breaking Bad. It made me very sad, and it, I, was, I was very uh, touched by it. Oli would like to know, what was the biggest challenge uh, writing the whole series the, for you? The, the biggest single challenge of yeah. writing the whole series? Uh, it's a good question. Um, mapping it out so that, that we, we knew, the pr creating the proportions of the show. In other words, the idea was to take a good man and turn him bad. Knowing how quickly to turn him bad. Was, was tricky, and, it, and, and we were operating in the dark very often. My writers and I were not sure how quickly, as, as I told with that previous story about Jane's death, I wasn't, we, none of us were that sure how quickly to make him bad because you have this eternal tension. You want to keep the audience interested. You want to give the audience enough to remain interested so that they don't go click and turn the channel. But at the same time, you want to do things slowly enough. You want to unroll, unravel the story slowly enough That, that you have an opportunity to go many seasons, go three or four or five seasons. So that was always a very tricky thing to figure out. So, any more questions? Um, hello, I have a question um, about the initial idea that popped up in your head as you described it. From there to the first pitch, what was the initial idea and how did it develop to the first pitch? The, 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 um, 
It, it's, it's, it's always hard to, to pin down where, where ideas come from, but I remember the exact moment uh, when the idea for Breaking Bad hit me. I was on a phone call in 2004 to a friend of mine, another, uh, another good German name, Schnauz, a gentleman <laughs> named Tom Schnauz. No coincidence. Or mustache, right? <laughs> Schnauz. And, uh, Schnauze, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he uh, is a, a, one of my oldest friends. I went to NYU film school with him. And uh, uh, he worked with me as a writer in the X-Files. And this was about two years after the X-Files ended. And we were bemoaning our sad state of unemployment at that moment. We were, we were, we were hoping for a good writing job. We weren't sure where, where it would arise from. And we were trying to figure out what else we could do for a living in the meantime. You know, and we realized very quickly we had no usable skills for anything else. Uh, but uh, he had read an article in the New York Times about some children who had been made sick by a meth lab that their mother had, had put in the bathroom of their apartment in New York City. Uh, a very terrible thing. And he has a very twisted sense of humor. Uh, as you've seen probably, because he is a, a writer on, on, uh, and a director on Breaking Bad, and he is, he, for instance, he wrote and directed the episode in which Mike Ehrmantraut was killed. Uh, he's a very talented writer and director. But he made the joke to me, why don't we put a meth lab in the back of an RV and drive around America and make money? And, and in that moment that he made that joke, uh, I was fascinated by a character who would do such a thing. And, and suddenly uh, that idea really, there was that sort of a eureka moment, which, which they don't come that often for writers, unfortunately, at least not for me. But, but in that moment, I thought, that would be an interesting character to write about. And, and that's, that's where it all sprung, sprang, sprung from, sprang from. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> OK, more questions. Um, maybe from the left side. In the back? Yeah, hi. Um, I guess my question is, uh, Breaking Bad is a very technical program, especially if you think about the chemistry. How often did uh, science or chemistry get in your way of your ideas or your visions that you had? And how often did you have to change the plot due to that? Well, I hate to admit, I, I am no scientist. Uh, I never took a chemistry class in my life. And uh, we had a lot of good help. We had a woman named Dr. Donna Nelson who, who, who presented herself to us uh, after season one and said, you know, I can, I can be, if you want me to, I can be of help vetting the, uh, the, the, the chemistry that you, that you have on the show. And she was very helpful in that regard. Uh, before we had her help, we had a couple of highlight moments uh, in that first season uh, that I have since uh, found out to be uh, less than scientifically accurate. But uh, there's a show, I don't know if you're familiar with it in Germany, but there's a show called Mythbusters. There's an American show. And I was very fortunate to have been a guest on it, along with Aaron Paul, uh, back in October. And the episode just aired uh, a couple weeks ago. And I think it's, you can probably find it on the internet. But in it, the, the two Mythbusters, these, these two gentlemen, they, they test uh, the truths or the untruths of, of, of certain popular myths. Uh, and they, they did a, a Breaking Bad episode. And in it, they tested the, uh, the mercury fulminate uh, that, that Walt uses on Tuco uh, in, his, in his office. And they also tested, could you indeed dissolve a body with hydrofluoric acid? And would it eat through a porcelain tub? And it's a very nauseating episode to watch because they, uh, they used a, 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 a pig carcass and they put it all kinds of awful 
chemicals, and then they shot a time lapse of it being uh, it just nasty. But but both uh, both those myths were unfortunately busted. They they, they said basically <laughs> okay. the way we wrote it would never work. But uh, what are you going to do? So. <laughs> it's fiction. So probably one last question. Hi. Um, you said you experimented a lot, and you didn't do broadcasting in the sense, as I understand it, it was rather narrow casting or something. And I would be interested in how much influence the money givers had on you or how much freedom did you have during the production in terms of hierarchy and influence on the production itself? Um, we were very fortunate. Uh, we were, Breaking Bad started up at the right time and in the right place. Um, I was, I, was, I was a bit cynical when I started pitching Breaking Bad around to different people because the experience I've had, I've been, I've been working as a professional writer in Hollywood and, 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 and movies for about 20 years and then in television for a little more than 15 years, 16, something like that. And my experience in, in both fields was that the first meeting is always the kindest in which the uh, executive shakes your hand and says, I love your work and I love this script and, and we're going to make it just as it's written and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And, and then the second meeting and then from then onward begins the death by a thousand cuts in which they change, uh, they, they nibble away like with a pair of scissors at, at your script and, and, and they, 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 or they file off all the sharp edges if you want to use that metaphor. And I was afraid with a, with a show as crazy and as edgy as Breaking Bad that uh, when AMC finally came along and said, we want to make this show, I was afraid that they didn't really know what they were talking about or what they didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. And uh, I was always waiting, the expression, I was always waiting for the other, for the other shoe to drop and, and for them to reveal that they really wanted a whole different show than what I wanted to give them. And luckily that moment, that shoe never dropped. That, that moment never came. And, and AMC, that our network, and Sony, our... our uh, our uh, uh, studio, both of them were very courageous, and they really, for better or for worse, they, they let me do the show that I wanted to do, and they were very uh, unobtrusive in terms of their notes. They would give notes uh, on each script as it came in, uh, and, and, and most of the time they're excellent notes, and, and very often they help make the show better, but there weren't that many of them, and, and also, there's sort of a gentleman's agreement between us that, that if I thought a note really would not help that particular episode, I could, I could not, not use it. I could ignore it. Mm -hmm. And that was a wonderful thing. That was a real blessing. And I always felt a great sense of responsibility to them for, for giving me that freedom. I, I felt responsible to, in turn, give them the best TV show I could, I could humanly give them. Uh, and and that, that worked very well. I would like to see that happen more often in, uh, in network television, uh, certainly in the United States. I would like to see uh, the end, and in movies as well, the end of that death by a thousand cuts process. That would, that would be a good thing, I think. Yeah, and the success proved you and them right at the end, so. Well, and, and if you buy a script, it stands to reason if you're going to spend a lot of money on a script, it ought to be a good one. Otherwise, don't buy it. But, but the, the strange uh, way that the, the system works over there typically, at least you know, for the past however many decades, is they buy it, and then they proceed to rewrite it from the ground up, and then they hire a bunch of other writers to rewrite it, and then they 
hire writers to, to rewrite those writers. I'm talking more about movies, I guess, and TV shows. But it's an odd system that, that, doesn't, that seems counterintuitive. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense to me. So. so, but hopefully you will come back with another thing such as Breaking Bad. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you, folks, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was great.